When you think about business competition, where are you focused? Your town, your state, across the country? You need to be concerned with competitors around the world. Welcome to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. Today, you'll hear about the mega trends in global business and how they affect your organization, as well as explore issues, solutions, and some amazing facts about business worldwide. Now, here is your host, Mahesh Joshi. Welcome to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. I have with me my guest today, J.R. Klein, and we are going to talk about impact of Ukraine conflict on global order. Early part of this year, when the year began, we are seeing some signs of slow recovery from the past two years of pandemic, which had severely dented the global economy and it had created a massive health crisis. While we were seeing some gradual recovery, we got another shock. The shock was the unfolding of events in Ukraine. And the Ukraine crisis, which has developed since then, uh, and it has been almost six months, was seen with a lot of apprehension, a dismay, and fear. It was a shock for everybody. Beyond that, the conflict, the way it has progressed for the last six months and created a massive humanitarian crisis, has shaken the roots of the global peace and security system. It has challenged the very core principle of United Nations Charter for International Peace and Security Order. Now, if you see these geopolitical events which have unfolded, they have started the world to start getting polarized in one way or the other. Now, on one end, you can put the 44 section countries which are getting together to help each other and create a security system, create a system where the humanitarian crisis can be helped economically or providing some other means of benefits to them. On the other side, country which is being economically isolated. Now, that will have impact on that particular country on a long-term basis because the sanctions which are being impacted by 44 countries today is more than a $60 trillion worth of global GDP. Now, that will isolate the economy for a long duration and will take some trust to build. And Russia, which had come to the global mainstream 30 years ago and gained out of it. Now, again, there is a massive difference of opinion there, and they have drifted poles apart. Unfortunately, there is no hegemon who is trying to dictate the terms and control the whole world. And the next uh, highest uh, GDP economy doesn't want to do that. Instead, that economy is having its own issues with Taiwan. Now, that is appearing also as a massive fracture in the geopolitical system. We'll talk this subject with our guest, J.R. Klein, today. J.R. Klein is an Oxford-published author. He's also an artist, and he's also a principal of J.R. Global LLC, a consulting firm, which is dedicated to facilitating global transformation through local initiatives that strengthen markets by addressing barriers to access by local residents. His focus is mainly on facilitating systemic change in the area of water, energy, education, and health. He also serves as the CEO emeritus of Finance Front and Ohio USA based organization. Hi, JL. Hey, my Hesh, how are you? I'm doing good, and we have a very interesting subject as usual again today. Impact of Ukraine conflict on global order. Very wide subject. We can cover a lot of aspects. But let's let's cover the key aspects and overall picture. So, Jair, what do you think? What's happening to the global order? How the the Ukraine conflict is impacting the global order? Well, this is a, it's a very pertinent subject these days, isn't it? Um, Absolutely. Uh, you, you can't you can't listen to the narrative. Uh, in social media or in a primary media or really anywhere these days 
uh, when you don't hear somebody's opinion about what's gone wrong or what's gone right or, or um, uh, what the future holds for any of us. Uh, and so um, I've always uh, taken the tendency to sort of fall back on what I know. And I have, I have, I have the tendency to, um, uh, to move up a little higher up to that uh, 50,000 foot level or whatever, and begin to try and figure out, trying to discern what, what, are, what is this narrative telling us? Uh, and what are, are these, uh, uh, these stories and observations of what's happening, uh, not just in Ukraine, but, but all over the world? What, what do they mean to uh, the way that, uh, the way that we interact with each other and just basically you know everything comes down to what happens locally so what do these things mean to the way that we all live and what our lifestyle is every day um uh, we we um we all are connected whether we 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 probably whether we admit it or not we're all connected uh, anybody uh, anywhere uh, will uh attest to the fact that uh, when we had the uh, aggression in Ukraine take place that that we all ended up paying more for food and more for fuel and more for transportation and more for just any anything because because even though we like to always talk about how important our nationality is what we have to understand is that it's all global these days uh, and so I, I always want to, when I look at this, I always kind of want to go back to where we were. Uh, and so if you will, if you will indulge me, I'm, I'm going to sort of verbalize a thought process here and, and begin to look about, look back to where we've been over the last, uh, not just the last decade, but probably a the last um, uh, almost century, you know, almost from the time of the Industrial Revolution, when, when the the a brand new kind of technology uh, began to be unpacked and unveiled around the world. Um, it's interesting when you listen to the global narrative. It's usually, it's usually. Uh, uh, faced in the grammar of commerce, uh, we we when we we hear uh, what's going on, the narratives that we hear usually are built around this uh, sort of kind of a structure of global economics. Is you know, is this what uh, is is this what this is what's happening here, and what does that mean to me? where I am and it does it basically comes down to the economics that that uh, that language uh, uh, that change in language that we've heard uh, you know a little bit more recently than that is really clear evidence of how the the geopolitical and national policies have undergone a massive change a massive disruption but where did it change from well uh for a long time, for a couple of hundred years, uh, the the global economy, the uh, global interaction of global relationships were really dominated by Western countries, primarily by Western countries. There was that sort of colonial influence that was inside of there that that were dominated, basically dominated by four countries, um, and uh, United States. Uh, the United States, Japan, uh, uh, Great Britain, and um, I want to tell you the other one, but uh, I want to say I want to say China, but that's probably wrong. But we're dominated by four Western countries, and that happened for Correct, a couple of yes. hundred years. That is very true. The developed countries, yes, yes, yes. Um, and and uh, they're they're the ones that were uh, uh, that kind of turned into uh, the the global policemen. Uh, if if uh, something happened, uh, whether it be politically or happened economically or 
socially within different parts of the world. Uh, these countries would would go in as 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 basically superpowers and and begin to try and find solutions to those kinds of problems. Now, what has happened over these last couple of, of, of decades, these trends have that that were manifests around the world began to see the trends that these superpowers are actually disappearing and pretty much have disappeared. And, and uh, this happened uh, against what is sort of this concept of structural polarity. It's called the structural polarity theory. That theory really presupposes that, uh, that polarity that is based on superpowers that command the world and and compete for it that in other words that means that we're 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 all connected because of those four superpowers um the basic reason that uh, that there's been a dramatic change is that change in technology has leveled the playing field in other countries emerging economies other entities around the world really have begun uh, began to be more able, more equipped to have a voice in this narrative than they ever been before, and and the reality is that the the reason that there are no more real superpowers is the inability to concentrate resources. In other words. You know, you want to be a superpower, you've got to have a lot of resources to be able to put into it, and you've got to have the will to do it. And, and in that, we can see, if we look at what has happened in the, in the world, there's, there's really little or no competition <laughs> these days uh, to, to, to be, uh, to be the, the world's policeman. Uh, United States has basically lost the will for that. China says that they really don't want to be. Uh, uh, Japan says that they can't be right now because they have the other things to other things to look at, uh, and and that uh, uh, that means some uh, very uh, significant different uh, structures that have begun to develop to develop around the world. Uh, it began to uh, see that there are some, um, I would call them area or regional phenomenons, regional identities that are beginning to exert itself. And you're beginning to see uh, um, a, a thing that we that I always hope to see more than we do, uh, sort of the positive side uh, of this sort of backing away from working together. Um, is is the ability of the world, the connected world, to handle some of our shared problems? Uh, there are local problems. Uh, there there still are local problems around the world, but a lot of our problems are shared problems. Um, there they they either are connected to environmental issues. Uh, they're connected to healthcare issues. Uh, to communication, uh, internet issues, issues of of, of inequity uh, that are sort of shared fate problems. They're sort of outside the realm of, of serious ideological positions. You know, everybody agrees that uh, uh, we want to keep people from dying. <laughs> you know, and, yeah, and, and so. Uh, uh, what what this basically uh, has done also uh, uh, as we look back it has it has begun to see a change in in the narrative also uh, you think about this over the last decade couple of decades you see a change in the narrative uh, again usually in sort of a business grammar um, there's been there's been a decline in in democracies around the world that is very true. I, and sorry for interruption uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, in the thought process. Uh, yeah, that's very true because these uh, democracy thing, uh, democracy, autocracy, others, there has been up and down during First World War, something happened. 
autocracies were going down till then, then nascent democracies died, and then uh, the autocracies were up till 1989 or 90 when USSR collapsed, and after that, democracies were on the right. So it exactly falls into our subject. You raise a very valid point on the global order, right? So um, we're going to take a short break here, Jihad, and we'll continue with your thought process immediately after the break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. For the past two years, Global Business with Mahesh Joshi has been a top-rated program on the Voice America Business Channel. Now, with its popularity growing, he has converted many of the concepts discussed on the show into an easy-to-read book from Oxford University Press, one of the top publishers in the world. Place your order for the book, Global Business, at mkjgb.com. Act now, and as a special offer, you'll receive a signed copy of the book by the author, Mahesh Joshi. Order today at mkjgb.com. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. This is Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. To reach the program, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's worldwide access to 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to maheshjoshi.82 at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, welcome back. You're listening to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi, and I have with me uh, Mr. J.R. Klein. And we are today talking about resetting the global order. What's happening in geopolitics and overall scenarios of economic imbalance affecting the relationship between various nations and countries. Uh, JR, I'd let you continue with what you started uh, in the first session. And uh, you took it to a very nice path explaining the whole process. Uh, okay. Uh, we, we were talking about uh, the idea of of um, the, this disruptive nature of, of change. And as we listen to narratives uh, uh, around the world uh, and we see some clear evidence of the way that the language uh, really of uh, geopolitics and national policy have undergone a lot of disruption. And the one we were just started to talk about a little bit was uh, the decline in democracies with sort of numerous examples of countries that are that are um, exploiting their populations and and sort of reestablishing systems that restrict choice and commerce and and lifestyle and and, and that is uh, I have a tendency to think that that goes around with sort of the second point that I'm going to going to mention about these narratives narratives if you will notice have have really revolved a lot around regional or national identities. Uh, they have been like that for for um, millennials. You know, we all have pride in our nations. We all have sort of pride in our in our heritage and in 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 where our people have been. But the narratives have sort of gone back a little bit and and changed uh, and and changed the way they sort of reasserted themselves inside of a global narrative. I'll give you a couple of examples. You get like like a Brexit or you get the American grandstand uh, nationalism, China, India, and other countries, which really sort of are reasserting their identity. And, um, and, and, and what's different about their reassertion is that most of them are advocating for or actually implementing uh, uh, those narratives that that are retreating behind national walls. Uh, they're paying attention to 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 strategic uh, domestic uh, problems first, and uh, and then and they're not really paying attention, or they don't want to get involved in uh, sort of the outside of the world, uh, which is which whether they will admit it or not. Uh, becomes a, a real issue for most countries. 
Um, I just talk as a citizen of the U.S., uh, and I'm going to say I could probably sit in any national chair anywhere in the world. You begin to see uh, how interacted we are when something like the pandemic or something like uh, the um, uh, the Ukraine uh, aggression actually begins to show up on my doorstep. My fuel prices go up, my food prices go up, my travel prices go up, my ability to get goods disappears, the dis you know, the supply. I, 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 I tell a quick anecdote here. Uh, uh, some friends uh, uh, and I went out for went out for a dinner the other night, uh, some drinks and a dinner. And uh, we went to a restaurant and we wanted to order a, a bottle of uh, Cabernet Sauvignon. And uh, the restaurant said, oh, I'm sorry, but we don't have any. Uh, and, and so the question becomes, uh, you know, a, a cab is kind of an international wine, I would, I, I think. And, and they, and they didn't have any, that means they weren't getting any domestically from the United States. They weren't getting any, uh, any imports because that demand that, that supply chain was basically almost non-functional non with, within some element of it. So that's what I mean by the fact that uh, inside of our walls, we can pretend that we're just going to pay attention to ourselves, but we're all interconnected. Everything we have every day of our life. Yeah, you know, I could trace you through a morning uh, and, and look at all the things that we rely on that don't necessarily come locally, but we get through that, through that uh, uh, global economy. Uh, so, uh, that that's sort of a disruptive phenomenon. Uh, culturally, this this um, this uh, economic uh, uh, political um, re—I'm going to call it a, a re-globalization or sort of a this deglobalization has has begun to see a, a, again a different phenomenon taking place. There's in in this world, whether and uh, in, inside of our nationalism we want to admit it or not, there involves uh, a lot of cross cultural spillover. You know, uh, right. of language, of language, cuisine, entertainment. You know, uh, that sort of culture happens almost organically. You know, give a quick example. Um, uh, in India, uh, some of the most popular movies in India. Uh, Bollywood are 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 have now become some of the most popular movies in China, True. you know, with with celebrity celebrities and, and recognition and and all that stuff. Um, these these things, this sort of globalization, are not not facilitated by governments. Uh, there, these are these are non-state actors uh, that are, are are subtly redefining sort of the national and regional cultures, whether it's Hollywood or Bollywood, there are there's there's non-state actors like 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 uh, uh, Facebook, uh, Google, TikTok and and a host of others. You know, Twitter has become major impact on uh, geopolitics and, uh, and wields a, a massive influence in uh, in in different countries. Mm -hmm. um, they, these are these are not again state actors that are but they're working across uh, geographical lines or national boundaries and have grown powerful enough that governor governments really have to reckon with them and they have to become uh, by reckoning I'm they have become major players uh, uh, globally. Uh, and these these uh, players influence adds to that sort of power base uh, simply through their economic scale. Mm -hmm. and, and so, um, so so then what we get to is we we look at this um, we look at this and we say uh, so where we are now is we're beginning to see something that uh, that Mahesh you and I have talked about for some time and that is sort of a restructuring of, of 
those what used to be superpowers into regional or or uh, national uh, smaller entities. A good example, of, as I see it, uh, uh, revolving or evolving inside uh, inside Europe at this point is the uh, the NATO response to a Russian aggression in Ukraine. Uh, mm. You know, uh, even though you had this sort of nationality uh, of nationalities inside the inside the European Union, uh, uh, what you began to see is the identify identification of a common identity when it came to uh, really supporting Ukraine uh, within NATO, and if if the Russian strategy was uh, that uh, that this would uh, be able to destabilize NATO, I think I think they did a, a, a vast uh, miscalculation because you even have nations wanting to come into NATO. But you 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 begin to there's a good example of how that works. If it's a crisis that does it, or if it's just pragmatism that does it. I think you're beginning to see the same thing a little bit in in Southeast Asia. Uh, you're beginning to see some values of of sort of pooling their economic strengths, uh, pooling uh, some of their political strengths, and their uh, their um, basically uh, business acumen uh, that that uh, they began to uh, work together as, as a as a unit, or at least as a as a, a, a collection of like economies. And, and, and that's kind of that's kind of where we are, uh, I think, uh, today. And so the next logical question, of course, is um, is is what do we do about it? Right. So, and so where are we and, and, and what do we do about it? You know, most most of the answer to that question uh, falls right smack on the shoulders of, of leaders around the world. And, and and so the next kinds of questions I think that you have to ask are, um, what what kind of what kind of leaders do we need? Uh, you know what what kind of what kind of of, uh, of people do we need? What are their characteristics, for example? What what kind of skills do they need? One thing is is really quite clear inside of where we are today. Uh, and that is that many of the old models, mm -hmm. as as a result of uh, uh, primarily, it's, it's gonna it was coming sooner or later. But as a result of the pandemic and the and Ukraine, they have really uh, uh, exacerbated. They re they've really increased uh, uh, in almost every sector. You know, there was a the time we talked about we talked about you know what's going to happen uh, with remote work, what's going to happen with with technology, what's going to happen with uh, uh, the way the workforce is, or the way the workforce could change at some point in the future when technology changes or catches up to us. Well, we woke up one morning, and it was here. Very true. Yeah, it was no longer a, a, a theory; it, it was reality. And so that that whole discussion begins to show us some things too about how leaders inside of their of that old, old model mm -hmm. uh, need to begin to change the way they think, the way they act, or they will become irrelevant. Very true. And, and what will happen is that um, uh, they will they will either they'll either yeah, you like that they'll either become part of history or they'll be history. Correct. You have time to create it also. That's the right opportunity. What what it's an interesting uh, question and and very good narrative you shared, Jr. Let me take a short break and uh, we will continue our discussions in the next segment.
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. For the past two years, Global Business with Mahesh Joshi has been a top-rated program on the Voice America Business Channel. Now, with its popularity growing, he has converted many of the concepts discussed on the show into an easy-to-read book from Oxford University Press, one of the top publishers in the world. Place your order for the book, Global Business, at mkjgb.com. Act now, and as a special offer, you'll receive a signed copy of the book by the author, Mahesh Joshi. Order today at mkjgb.com. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. This is Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. To reach the program, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's worldwide access to 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to maheshjoshi.82 at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back. You are listening to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. And we are having discussions with... GR Klein today on uh, the impact of Ukraine crisis on the global order. Uh, GR, we are in our third segment. Very interesting discussion. You provided a very nice narrative of starting from uh, history to where we are today. What I wanted to add and bring up for discussion in our next session is there are a few things which have become very obvious once uh, the Ukraine crisis started. So anyway, uh, starting point, when it started, the whole world was already facing the hangover of pandemic. And there were a lot of disruption because of that. Global economies were under pressure. And the, the global markets, I would say more with the impact of geopolitics, were getting a little bit more protective about themselves and some other factors which were kind of making some minor geopolitical fractures start to show up. Now, what it can result in is it can magnify the fractures or separate few things that can happen because there are a lot of things happening around. Now, what it looks like is what is happening, it's been almost six months. There is no short-term solution to this. It's going to be a little bit long drawn so there could be posturing. But overall, if you look at it, it has threatened, the current environment has threatened some of the basic fundamentals on which the world was working. So there was a UN Charter for Peace, which was dictated after post-World War II, or rather it's an international peace and security order. That got threatened. And uh, one of the main impacts of that, if you see, is since March, we have created two more million refugees because people had to leave the country, right? And it looks like if it continues and it is a little bit longer drawn, we may have several more million people joining the category of refugees, which is very tough. Now, no doubt, the economic sanctions were imposed. They were imposed very quickly to force, to find a solution to the crisis. It has not worked in six months to get a solution, but it is showing its impact. Move was very fast. And, and the scope of which, if you see, and the scale and at which the sanctions were put, humongous. But now, when, when, when you put these kind of sanctions in a globalized world, it can impact both ways. Now, those sanctions have impacted the aggressor in this case. Uh, in terms of uh, constraining their economy. But at the same time, world is getting deprived of what was coming from that geography, which is now conflict zone. Because I believe a lot of rice and almost 70, not rice, wheat, close to 50% of global requirement and 70% of sunflower. Some of those things, I'm, I'm putting the numbers here. Uh, let's say, even if you don't want to go to exact number, a large quantity used to come from there. That got impacted. Now, if you put sanctions, they cannot come out. The whole world also suffers. And it has inflationary pressure. Now, this has created impact on the grasser as well as the rest of the world also. 
Now, what is the global economy facing now? Right now, if, if you had to summarize, it is high inflation and there is a high energy cost and God knows what's going to happen in the next few months when the winter sets in in Europe and there is a constraint on the supply of energy which used to come earlier from Russia. The supply chains have been already disrupted and that's not the only cause of supply chain disruption. Supply chain disruptions had already triggered before that, way before that, during the pandemic times. So now, I would say the the volatility which this issue or this crisis is brought in is in more in price and market stability. Nobody knows where it will go. But if I had to relate with some of the current happenings and we were, which were happening when this crisis unfolded, if we try to link it, few of them which come very obvious is the the key factors which needs to be addressed and the global community has to look at what are those uh, those trends which we need to take care of our key issues which are coming out of these crises which affect businesses, organization, countries. And it, it will need a collective wisdom, gathering of intelligence and find appropriate ways to handle with them. Number one, where I will put is the security of people because when this thing happened, how many evacuation efforts were taken over by other countries whose citizens were in Ukraine, either working or studying or doing something? Second, there are some news and some discussions about cyber risk, that how serious is the cybersecurity threats? And uh, Ukraine was an example that how denial of service and malware attacks and other impact on their infra uh, infrastructure, which is cyber infrastructure, was taking place. Third was, let's say, let's look at another issue could be, how do you make the world or everybody compliant to the sanctions? Is it possible? Because some of the major economies, fast growing economies, uh, the largest being China in this case, they were not fully in compliance with the sanctions. And not, it was not only limited to China, some other countries too. How do you make it happen? I'm saying even if you have to freeze asset, you put prohibition on transactions, and you include a lot of things. No doubt, the, the sanctioned countries which are fully following are maybe around 40 or so. They cover almost two-thirds of the global GDP, so they could really impact. And the fourth one, I would say, the potential impact on supply chain, because now your channels have been uh, disrupted, which are running through those geographies, which are now conflict zone. And the last one where I want is, which I want to touch, the major impact which has come in and which can create another geopolitical fracture is the ESG values, environmental, social and governance values, the climate control. You know, the whole world had got unified and they were working on decarbonization, they're working on how do you work on, on uh, the climate issues. And, and the world was making a lot of progress. I'm not suggesting that world has stopped the progress. Still, most of the developed nation, nations, some of the developing and upcoming nations are also still working on hydrogen. They're working on solar. They're working on alternate energy. They're working on carbon capture projects. They are because they can afford to do even at this time. But the transition suddenly to take care of that when the energy becomes scarce in some parts of the geography, how well those values will be upheld. So, so beyond the, the, the general subjects which we see, there are some very difficult trends coming up for human race. So these are the five trends um, I see. And also, I wanted to raise these because you mentioned something about leadership. Now, this is where the leadership will come into play that despite these issues being available, how would the leaders lead and try to maintain some kind of sanctity in the geopolitical equations so the nations are working together? Because definitely uh, what the world has seen and, and uh, uh, one of the very popular British author, Joseph Nye, uh, on, on international relations, he also mentioned not now, maybe 20, 30 years ago, that there is always an advantage when the countries work together. 
and I'm I'm really quoting from him 20 years ago what he said that inter interdependence and the interconnection in the world serve not only for prosperity and well-being, but also serves a deterrent effect against major aggression. So maybe we are going to see that play out in future and more countries try to bridge these geopolitical fractures and try to come into this uh, realm of interdependence and interconnections. Yeah, I I, I agree. Um, your your uh, your your conversations about um, all all these things that we hear inside of the narrative all the time that uh, you know um, inflation and uh, GDP and and all of this stuff, and, and I I really agree that that this is this is not this is not a short term fix. Uh, this is a this is a long term fix because most of the things we talk about are really symptoms of a problem, uh, and the, the 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 problems are are really are really much more uh, systemic uh, than than the 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 oft discussed and the frequently quoted. Uh, indicators that something's wrong with the system. Uh, you know, we in the United States uh, wait with bated breaths on the em employment statistics that come out and uh, and uh, and uh, federal statistics that come out and what the Federal Reserve Board is going to do with interest rates and all of that stuff and 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 most of that most of that stuff uh, are indicators. And, and again, uh, Mahesh, I'm going to tell you that. Um, that I, I I I guess I'm I'm too simple because all of this stuff really drives me back to almost the same line of thought, and that is, who's in charge here? Uh, you know, um, that this, that's a good question. Yeah, 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 and and that 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 happens in any environment that I'm in. You know, who who who's in charge here? It all kind of comes down to. Um, what is the, what is the, what is the character? What, what is the, what are the priorities of leadership? And, and that's something that is not just global. It, it goes down to the, the guy that runs the corner convenience store uh, to, uh, to the prime minister of, uh, of Germany. You know, it's a, uh, uh, what what are what are we prepared to do? You know, these symptoms are observationally uh, indicators that we really haven't been paying attention. Uh, you you talked about the the the, the cyber uh, networks. You know that they're they're just indications that some of those systems have just simply been neglected uh, or have been ignored. Uh, you know, and 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 uh, money or resources or whatever have gone other places rather than on keeping those systems stable. Um, we just haven't been been paying attention, and and uh, that you ended up with a statement something about uh, there's there's that equality. Uh, interesting statistics around what makes for stable economies. It really is interesting that uh, um, one of the biggest indicators uh, of, uh, of uh, uh, economies that are functioning much better, uh, and, and that when I say economies, I'm talking about the equity inside of the economy and the style of life for all the geopolitical or sociopolitical or socioeconomic groups inside of that, that society, that culture. Uh, when 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 you look at that, um, you see that the the highest indicator is literacy rates. Right. If 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 the people in the country are are literate, they have they have the potential of being more successful. And and if you really look at it closely, uh, you look at the connections there. 
you know, there's a, a Pew study that that uh, I quote that came out a couple of years ago that really talked about the um, the 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 years of education after after the primary education, the years of education uh, connect to uh, the the uh, uh, the raise in income of 10% for every year of, of education that they have. You know, th that was a study that, that looked at, at that. And so that's one of the things, that's one of the things that, that are just indicators within these societies. But then, so what do you do? What do you do to, to uh, open this society or culture uh, to, uh, to allow people to access it? Well, Again, again, to me, it all comes back to the guy that sits in the chair. Got it. If somebody yeah. has to lead it. I totally somebody agree with you. Yeah. Somebody has to be, the, the leader has to be responsible and accountable. I totally agree with you. Uh, JR, unfortunately, we are at the end of segment three. We'll take a short break and we'll continue our discussions in next segment. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. For the past two years, Global Business with Mahesh Joshi has been a top-rated program on the Voice America Business Channel. Now, with its popularity growing, he has converted many of the concepts discussed on the show into an easy-to-read book from Oxford University Press, one of the top publishers in the world. Place your order for the book, Global Business, at mkjgb.com. Act now, and as a special offer, you'll receive a signed copy of the book by the author, Mahesh Joshi. Order today at mkjgb.com. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. This is Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. To reach the program, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's worldwide access to 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to maheshjoshi.82 at gmail.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back. You're listening to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. And uh, we are in discussion with uh, GR Klein today talking about impact of Ukraine crisis on global order. Now, JR, you, you addressed a very important subject that let's say we have a global economy, we have a global environment, we, we are seeing geopolitical fractures. Somebody has to fix it. Somebody has to take lead. Now, when you think about who should take lead and doing the right thing, the obvious word is leader. Now, in this case, there'll be multiple leaders involved, but it could be a place for a leader to come up to drive in such a way that other nations come together without being uh, making an effort and try to prove that he or she is hegemon. And the country which has the capability to do that, you mentioned earlier during our discussion, is not willing to do it anymore. And then and the next biggest possible hegemon doesn't want to do it. So I totally agree with you. There is a huge place for leadership and leadership in multiple geographies to lead in a way that world becomes a much better place to live. And so, and so Mahesh, we can have an entire, uh, an entire show on what's the motivation of leadership. <laughs> what, 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 what influences leaders to make the kinds of decisions that they make. And, and so in in my mind, it comes down to how do leaders think, and, and and this 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 world is is much more diverse than any any time in human history, because we have access to any part of the world at almost any time. We talked about this uh, sort of subtle reglobalization. Uh, of of non-governmental agencies, but you know there are some basic there are some basic characteristics that in in this time, well, this this is a transformational time for the entire world. 
there are some basic characteristics that leaders just really have to have. And I, and I say that very emphatically because I'm just not quite sure anything changes if leaders don't have these kinds of characters. The first one that I would point to is this sort of idea of creativity and inclusivity. Uh, uh, leaders really have to continually look at the way things got, get done. Uh, they're constantly uh, have to be inquiring. Uh, they, they have to be looking at things, uh, learning things, unlearning things, relearning things. Uh, the, the, the way they think has to change from, 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 uh, from no way uh, to what if. Uh, to um, to how to rather than we better not, and that just means they they have to th think asymmetrically. You can't just think about solutions that are that are one solution for a problem. Uh, they they understand that none of us is better than any of us, and none of us is smarter than all of us. Uh, they they understand that this sort of value of thinking together and and how to build inclusive cultures and I, I say this as sort of a sidebar you know the the role of a leader in any place is basically not to lead the troops down into under the standard down into battle it is to build a culture that is conducive to rationally building solutions to problems and 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 being able the one that can influence uh, all of the folks within the in the I will say within the business within the corporation within the country that they are not just a part of the symptom but they're part of the 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 system they have something to say and they have to be able to be very inclusive culturally and in order to do that they have to they have to do that actively you have to be exposed to different cultures uh what you have to you have to uh include uh, individuals in your narrative in your conversations in your processes that are indicative of that culture you have to you have to listen to voices from that culture and, and you need to make decisions based upon what you learn from those markets. Because if you don't, you'll pay the price when you go in uh, and, and, and do business because if you don't understand the culture, you, know, you, you, you don't understand the solution. And so that's the first one. So this idea of creative uh, in, inclusivity. Uh, a second characteristic is effective leaders are always driven to deliver. They're always looking at being a little bit better, uh, looking for something a little bit more performance, a little bit more. And, and these kinds of leaders uh, are able to always analyze data and they're willing to make decisions based on their best information. They are not afraid to fail. They have adopted the idea that they have to be wrong long enough until they're right. And they learn from their failures and their grow. The third characteristic is that leaders uh, in, in, in local and global contexts uh, have, to, have to be trusted citizens. That's an interesting, interesting phrase. That, that's a key one, trusted citizen. I'll get back to that later on, but please continue. Yeah, and they... They understand how how trust works. So they know they know uh, someone is always watching them, uh, whether at work or in the car. Not just not just at business, but uh, at at meetings at home or in the social world. They understand that their word is their bond. Yeah, uh, yeah. They, and they they never they never make us uh, assumptions without information. Never never accept assumptions that are divergent from what is known and are. Are, are are not supported by data they they never here here's one they never take anything personally and they mm -hmm. always seek the agenda driver of their conversations now that mm -hmm. is one of the hardest hardest easy thing that any leader will ever do these leaders are always always doing their best uh 
uh, on the information available to them and they're not afraid they're not afraid to change the course uh, of of business in light of new information those those things really really are a change in thinking uh, for an old model but my encouragement is before i close this little piece that my mind is doing the encouraging is the encouraging thing is though not real prevalent it is prominent we see a lot of workers a lot of leaders in this world uh, that have become that have become inclusive driven to deliver trusted citizens and and that is very encouraging i think uh, your point uh, of uh trust if in the current context of um, geopolitical situation across the world if there was trust and the leaders are trustworthy probably situation could be very different and and for for now i will i will try to kind of differentiate between the democratic world and some other world and uh, autocracies autocracies close to autocracy could be russia and china could be, yeah. Now, if you see, is there a trust there? Is there a transparency there? Who knows what is happening? And see, where is the risk factor being seen right now? Russia and Ukraine? So what's going to happen to the future of Russia? Yeah. So the leadership is so important that if with the, with the current 44 major nations putting sanction on Russia, it continues because the leader chose to take the country through a war what can happen to them? What could happen to happen to the people of Russia? I'm not talking about whether there should be a war or no war, but the impact of sanctions, not being part of a larger or a society. This can have detrimental effect for next many years and can pull back Russia by the several years of progress which they made because Russia made phenomenal progress in the last 30 years when they became part of the system, which is a global system. And they gained out of it, and everybody gained out of it. There was more of peace. People are talking to each other. Leaders are meeting. Economies are working. People are traveling. Now, another warning sign which came up is is recently between China and Taiwan. Would those kind of experiments happen again? It's not the the the, the forum for us to decide who's right, who's wrong. But if you look at it, the the stress building between China and Taiwan and uh, uh, the visit of one of uh, the leaders of USA to Taiwan being responded by a show of muscle by uh, the leader uh, who leads at his own uh, wish because this, the, it's not a democratic system. In one of the largest economies of the world he's leading, if that continues, maybe this is what is happening with the sanctions today on Russia is an indicator to him also, an indicator rather, that listen, please don't do something which is not democratic and not good for global society. Don't create another geopolitical fracture uh, because if that happens, then those 44 nations will put sanction on Russia they, if they come along and together put sanctions on any of the adventures in Taiwan or that, that area, these nations control almost 60% of GDP. In China, no doubt, has 20% of GDP. But that 60% is a big number for a consumption GDP. The rest of the world, uh, all the another 150 countries, cannot compensate for that economic benefit which that country has been getting for so long. So overall, uh, testing times for the human race. Pandemic was tough. We all suffered as we are coming out, feeling a little bit better. Geopolitical fractures took place. And these events uh, started polarizing, at least uh, uh, exposing the world leaders, where they stand, who can act, who cannot act, and who can act in a negative manner. And what could be the possible consequences of that? So we can only hope that the better sense prevails. And as J.R. you said, that kind of leaders come into play, who are trustworthy, and there is somebody who takes lead, not by becoming a hegemon to, to drive the world into one way or the other, lead on a mission, and which aligns with the UN Charter of Peace and which allows the global economies to grow. 
that probably could be an ideal situation. So, Jayar, thank you so much. We are now uh, uh, end of our uh, fourth segment, and I thank you so much for joining the discussions today. Uh, thank you. Uh, it's an honor to uh, be with you and have some conversations. And uh, my my closing word is just uh, encouragement to any leaders out there. Let's let's continue in our role of building uh, trusted cultures. Perfect. Thank you, Jr. You've been listening to Global Business with Mahesh Joshi. We hope you'll tune in for another edition of the program next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a good week.